I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. You know how our prudence can sniff out a British truffle. But you know, it's the bloodhounds that are famous for tracking scents. And we're about to jump on Zoom to talk to Karin Lee to find out how her bloodhounds have worked with the police to nab the baddies. Hey, Karin, welcome to A Dog's Life. Oh, hello, Anna. Nice to talk to you again. Nice. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. Well, gosh, we knew each other ages ago, did we not, Karin? And I'm going to call you Karin. I know, you know, it's yeah. also Karen in English, but, you know, yeah. we're multilingual here. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> because you, when you first moved to the UK, you, well, please tell the story about when you moved to the UK. So I moved to the UK in 2001 and I brought with me my two American Staffordshire Terriers uh, and I totally come to the port of Dover and fallen into the trap of the English Dangerous Dog Act, bearing in mind that the German Dangerous Dog Act is far more severe than yours here, even worse than yours. Um, so what happened was is that um, the German embassy's translation was in not precise, put it that way, because over here they class some dogs as pit bull types and the translation said the following breeds are prohibited. And despite being American staffs are descendant of the pit bulls long, long while ago, well, I've been arrested and my dogs were seized. Gosh, and that led us, didn't it, to meeting way back at Dr. Roger Mugford's exactly. um, farm down in Surrey, where at the time, gosh, I was working a bit with Roger and I was doing lots of agility training, <laughs> loads of agility training with uh, <laughs> my bull terrier. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is exactly where the two of us met. Yeah, that's right. Because it's interesting at the moment. I raise that really to start the, the conversation today because about two months months ago, the RSPCA had presented new evidence to DEFRA about the Dangerous Dogs Act and about how ridiculous it is really to judge a book by its cover, by measurements of, you know, the length of the muzzle or the width of the head of a dog. And it's also submitted a lot of real evidence to actually highlight that type dogs are no more likely to bite you than a chihuahua. I totally agree because I did feel really, really fall really into the breed specific legislation with my two, but was in the position to go to court and get them released with the usual strict conditions. But many other people are not so lucky. And and be honest with you, it cost me about £10,000 to get them two back with all the court fees and the solicitor, and not many people can afford that. And people have their pets been dragged out of their homes just because they fit certain, certain measurements and some assessor comes along and declares them dangerous. And be honest with you, the worst injury I've been caused by a dog was a black Labrador. 
Really? How interesting. Yes. Because he had severe behaviour issues caused by people. And you wouldn't think, bearing in mind the odd, slightly on the large side Labrador you meet in the park, would cause such injuries. But both my husband and I have been severely bitten by this dog. Gosh, yes, exactly. So, you know, it, and this research is actually highlighting, you know, that it is down to individual dogs in individual circumstances and very much down to often the humans around them, really, and the lack of socialization and, <laughs> and, and environmental issues to the main, you know. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens and whether there is an amendment to this because it causes enormous heartbreak. Totally agree. And I'm telling you now, we have the Dutch herder in the channels. If you take the head away, it looks like a massive American pit bull because the colour and the body would fit the criteria. It's the same I had a fox red Labrador with a brown nose and I've been accused that I brought a red nose pit bull somewhere. <laughs> Because he looks like it. He, he had a massive fat on him. And be honest, if somebody would have reported me, somebody would have come and taken Doyle away. So I totally agree with you. And I hope this new study and the report submitted changes that. Because it's, as you rightly say, it's wrong. It's not the bottom of the lead. It's the top of the lead. And people do not socialize their dogs. And I don't know how you feel about it, but we rehomed since COVID happened. So many working dogs, which were not in the correct placement and have severe behavior issues because people seems not to say no to their dogs. There are no boundaries. There are no structure or anything in these dogs' lives. And I think that's really sad. Oh, it is sad. You know, um, dogs, you know, I always say they are a commitment, not a convenience. People underestimate the work that goes into, you know, sharing your life with a dog. I mean, on a dreary, rainy day like it is today, you know, we have to go out with our dogs. And, and it's that type of commitment that loads of people don't have. And I think a lot of dogs are now being turned into rescue post-pandemic. Well, I know we're still in the pandemic, but post um, the major lockdown. It's horrendous and it's all working breeds. I don't know why people think they could have in a, in a small flat a working type Springer Spaniel. I, yes, of course they're cute when they're puppies, so it's not out about it, but they're just so intense and full on that there is no way this dog will be happy in a pet environment. Yeah, yeah. And I think people do underestimate that. But even, even, you know, a lot of designer crossbreeds that people have bought online, you know, they, they may have fallen victim to an unscrupulous breeder and they've, they've had huge vet bills already and people are all feeling the pinch, you know, I mean, the soaring energy prices that we've got going on at the moment and bringing a pet into your life certainly isn't going to reduce your cost of living. <laughs> well, absolutely not. No, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've got, obviously, I've got, um, I, I, we were in a really fortunate position, my husband and I. We were able to uh, buy a derelict uh, greyhound kennel in 2013 and we refurbished these kennels and built a house here. Uh, and we have a bit of land. And obviously, our dogs are working dogs and kept in kennels. But I'm telling you, it's a full time job. You know, 14 <laughs> dogs, and between the two of us, we, we undergo constant. Yeah, I bet. I bet you don't stop, actually. I no, mean, there's always no. one thing or another, you know. I mean, yes. 
I mean, dogs are never, if you have more than one dog, it is so much more work. And loads of people think, oh, I've got one dog. I know, so I'll get another one because it'll keep the other dog company. And how much more trouble that can, can it be? Like you know, walking two dogs rather than one dog, but they're never ill at the same time. No, No, it doesn't work like that. Definitely not, you know. And the thing is, um, you have to train all of these guys. You have to make sure you meet their needs and different breeds have different needs. Exactly. And and you at Chill Kennels, gosh, you know, you have an impressive range of dogs. I mean, I, I can't wait to come and visit, you know. Oh, you I hope have, you come. Yes, no, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to. And I'm interested that you converted these old greyhound kennels because, you know, um, I think it was episode 49 of A Dog's Life where yeah. we had a roundtable discussion about banning greyhound racing. Um, a very popular episode, actually, with lots of downloads, mm. you know, because that's another whole conversation in itself that's a totally different conversation to have and um well when they go in retirement channels i mean i have to say our neighbors where we live is um these are all ex-ground channels and there's a whole road with seven channels and they used to belong to belong to catford stadium right so and they've been all sold off first Goddard bought them the vet um chain bought all of those and then they've been sold off separately and we have got a rehoming kennel next to us and these guys are honestly work their work their magic to rehome these poor ex-racing greyhounds. And they raise funds and they're always on the go. And I have a lot of respect for these people, but I agree with you. I think it's an old-fashioned sport and not every trainer and owner treats them with the respect they deserve. And again, it's an animal that works and races for you. And they're not being treated very nicely sometimes no I know I know it's 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 awful but you've hit on something there you know it is about um a two-way relationship with dogs and and your training skills are you know amazing as you train dogs you know to a very very high level for very specific tasks but going back to the range of breeds you know something that really interests me is um you've got a pack of bloodhounds we have two bloodhounds and okay. these two guys uh that's henry and george um george is called after inspector george not gently <laughs> because all our dogs have names after television and fiction characters all our dogs do and henry i had no choice in the matter because his dad was called dyson and his granddad was called Uber. So right. I had to call him Henry and they come from the Coke and Bloodhounds, which is a pack in Sussex who does a sport called um, chasing the clean boot. So they let 50 Bloodhounds after cross country runners. And these are proper working Bloodhounds where if you go to some breeders in the UK, the hounds are too heavy for the work we asked them to do. because. Oh, okay. Our bloodhounds are um, the longest trail Henry had to work to find his missing person was about 12 and a half kilometers long. So is it a bit like with Labradors, how you have a working type Labrador and a show type yeah, Labrador? Exactly. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Gosh, yes, because you do see some bloodhounds, you know, uh, uh, you know, on telly. Well, the famous mm. one was, gosh, what did he advertise? You know, was it Bonio, the brand? Yes, yes it was, wasn't I, I it? I vaguely remember that one, yeah. It was Bonio. And he, I mean, he, honestly, I mean, the poor thing could hardly open his eyes. I know. 
you know, I mean, yes, they're working on their scent, but you do need to have a bit of an idea of where you're going. Um, well, there's the a lot of myth around these wrinkles around the face and the ears that it aids to funnel the scent up the nose. And there's a lot of myth about that. But I don't know. I'm not sure about this. Um, the thing is, in the end of the day, the first bloodhounds in the UK deployed for hunting somebody was in 1708. They did go after William Wallace. Believe it or not. Really? Did they? Yeah. Gosh, wasn't he Braveheart? Yes, he was. And then they got the bloodhounds in for Jack the Ripper. Mm. But the funny bit was when they trained him in, them in Hyde Park, they belonged to um, somebody uh, called Major Richardson. And Will, um, Jack the Ripper stopped all his activities while these hounds were in London. Believe really? it or not. Gosh, so they were like a deterrent as well, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, so they just should have had the dogs out the whole time. They're very, they're very good. They're not super duper intelligent, in my opinion, as most hounds aren't. They're not the most intelligent animals. They're lovely and funny to have, but be honest, Anna, I wouldn't want them in the house. I was going to ask that. Can you make a bloodhound a pet, providing you've got a big enough house? Well, if house? you're not exactly house proud, then you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, can any dog owner really be totally house proud, really? No, but these guys, they're slobber. They right. smell. They have got no empathy <laughs> for personal space. Their tail is lethal, honestly, when they're wrecked. And they're constantly wrecked because they're super happy animals. Or if, they're, if their needs are met, coming back to the same subject again. And, and they're, they're constantly, ours are constantly on the go. Well, that sounds brilliant. I mean, you know, living on the Sussex border, I mean, it must be fabulous for them. But I'm so interested to learn, you know, that you work with the Essex Police Force and help them from time to time on what would you call it? Man hunting? That sounds a bit... uh, Well... we, we help them searching for vulnerable missing people and they call us out, out between 60 and 80 times a year. Um, what it is, is the police dogs are trained in a method called tracking. So they use ground disturbance. You know, when you walk on grass and break the leaves. So these guys are really good and fresh scent, anybody's scent. So this is why they're really good at decamps from cars because um, it also has an element of emotional scent because if you steal a car and decamp from it and our police dog is on your ears your adrenaline level is definitely going up a bit so these guys work a lot on fear scent where if somebody from a care home goes missing who has dementia they have got no empathy that they're in danger so there is no emotional scent in the scent picture so our hounds are trained to find that one human scent and discriminate that one human scent from anything else that's about it's extraordinary, you know. I'm I'm a bit of a, a scent nerd, you know, um, Karen. I must say, I you know, a dog's olfaction. I think everyone taking on a dog for the first time should learn about every dog's sense of smell because even you know, a little Bichon Frise, um, you know, to you know, a Great Dane, they have this superior olfaction and and tapping into it. I'm not suggesting people would get their little Bichon to go looking for their auntie who might have gone 
wandering with dementia but um you know it's there isn't it Karen and I think to really tap into it even with fun games in your garden can can really you know settle the dog in a way you know because instead of being angsty and wondering what to do it's like you know maybe eating a really good bowl of muesli for a human in the morning it, it satisfies them instinctually what I feel is, what people, what people go wrong is, I think they have to, to walk their dogs constantly. But what they're achieving is they're building an athlete. And the more you walk them, the fitter these guys get. So instead of doing some nose work and let them find their favorite toy or, or some treats somewhere, which I think 15 minutes of scent work is the equivalent to an hour walk at least. Because yeah. they wear, honestly, they wear themselves out so much. And if you find their favorite thing, and this is what man trailing is all about, you find their favorite reward and somebody who, who the dog really loves um, runs off with it. And they go, oh, hold on a minute. You have <laughs> got my favorite thing. And this is how man trailing works. It's a hunt, basically. You're rotating a hunt. And any dog can do that. The Bichon Frisee is really good at it, believe it or not. Oh, no, I'm not saying they're not. Crumbs, I know. You wouldn't believe they go the extra mile. If you have some, what I call tuna crack in a little pot or cat food, you wouldn't believe what they're capable of doing. <laughs> yes, I know. Dogs do love cat food, don't they? It's, <laughs> it's so pongy. Um, and tuna, it, it, indeed, it's, mm. it's a great reward. It's a great reward to use. Yes, so you've got these bloodhounds. And what would you say their success rate is? Well, the thing is, it's not so much about the World Cup fight. Um only only 2% of all our trails would lead up to walking into the person. But if we end up at a bus stop or mostly at a train station, which often happens, that gives the police another handle to look into. Right, I see. Um, because obviously missing people, there are statistics out there what certain type of missing people behaving like. Um, so People who are despondent and, and the gender plays a role. There are lots of statistics around this. But um, sometimes they just go on public transport. Or I had a gentleman with dementia and he's been found because Henry got to tube station in London where he used to work. They, they, it would have taken ages to find the man and they would have to have the helicopter out and all sorts. And because Henry did get into this this train station, tube station tribe thing in Epping. Um, this is why, why they found him where he was. Oh, it's so interesting because, of course, yes, it will break the scent. I mean, there's no way, I guess, the hounds could follow a train, could they? No, but he turns around and looks at me. It's basically telling me, you know what, it's gone and I don't know what happened to it. Right, right, right. He, he, so. he turns into me and usually what he does, he jumps up on me. I see. So he's, you know, so then you'll know which way mm. that train was going. So at I, least people... I know somebody's gone on a train somewhere and then it's for the police to obviously investigate CCTV and, and whatever is available else to them. 
Sure, of course, it's absolutely. How interesting. It's that age-old thing. And to think that it's been going on since the 1700s, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of sometimes question all of this technology we have, you know, when so much is is in the dog's nose, so much capacity, you know. I mean, last week in the papers, there was a lovely story about a Labrador that had detected his owner's grade four breast cancer and in quite a young person actually and it was all treated and she's it's all clear and it's a really happy ending whereas the dog hadn't kept nosing this and you know alerting her to something going on she was none the wiser because she was um, below the age of you know routine checks so that's staggering as well isn't it Karen I think it's amazing and I think personally we only have scratched the surface what dogs are capable of when it comes to using their noses to be honest I helped the lady training a diabetic detection dog because mm. she had already her own dog it was a cross between a Bernice Martin dog and a poodle massive dog but lovely dog really and because she had this device in the arm but the device was now old uh, out so she got far too late alerted when her blood sugar was all over the place. And what I told the doctor to do is as soon the doc detected that the blood sugar is not quite right to um, nudge her foot. Wow. And that's what he did. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? And so you can so understand in saying something like that, how we humans can be like an emotional contagion to our dogs, you know, because, you know, the word that we seem to be, all the time at the moment is stressed out with with life with everything that we have to do at the moment you know social media and and whatever but of course dogs don't respond awfully well to stressed humans they they pick up immediately and i always say to the handlers we train for man trailing the guys who who want to support their police in their area um they need to be very very careful of their own emotions because every single sound is lead everything goes down this lead. As soon as I'm not in the right frame of mind, um, my my new Malamar picks up straight away on that. Henry's a bit more oblivious because he can't, couldn't care less. I'm just a driver right. putting the harness on and then Henry does what Henry does. Um, but the young Malamar I rescued last year, um, he's very, very, very keyed into me and picks up straight away when I'm not in red frame of mind. Malinois interests me because they, they're dogs that are used a lot, aren't they, by the police now. Mm. And um, I've talked about this before, actually, but they, you remember the Malinois called Diesel that um, yeah. after the Paris bombings, yeah. that just so hit me. You know, that dog went in and saved everyone's life, basically. But uh, do you think that Malinois was picking up on something then, Karen? You know, because I know his handler would have been super experienced to control his nerves but can a human ever really control their nerves that much not to pass it down to the dog I don't think so even if you're a highly trained navy seal or something like that I think in a hostile situation like these guys been in I think especially the Malamar um, these guys are very very quick in making their own decisions and um, sometimes they don't make wise decisions I have to say that the Malamar again is a breed that's not for everybody and it breaks my heart at the moment I'm not to see so many Malamar and Dutch herders coming into rescue and they're young they're only 16 weeks and stuff like that but people have not done their research yes these guys look great on YouTube 
And they look great in um, Jack Rick. Oh, blimey, don't they just look great? But these dogs are highly trained animals and you have to be on their case all the time, constantly training them, gives them something to do. Otherwise they seek their own entertainment. They're not like German Shepherds at all. Interesting. Though, They're not. Right. I absolutely love Malinois and I couldn't live without one. Honestly, and this guy I've got here at the moment, because obviously my 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 beloved Cedric passed away two years ago. He was he was something else that dog. Honestly, my vet always said he. I think he is autistic, Karen. I think that dog is autistic. He didn't like people, but hunting people. Oh, that was it. And we were twice on telly actually, Cedric and I. Oh. We um yeah we um Steve Backshell, the lovely Steve Backshell. Tried to get uh, us off his scent. <laughs> Didn't really? work. Oh yeah, yeah. He was great. Cedric was great, but Cedric, um, yeah, sadly had an illness, and and we had to get, say goodbye to each other. But I've got Caleb here now, and he. I've been the fourth owner when this puppy was sixteen weeks. Sixteen weeks. Fourth he owner. Was sixteen weeks, and I was the fourth owner, Anna, because people thought they get him as a help for their daughter who had mental issues and that is the wrong thing to do these people meant well but Caleb is super super difficult Mm, yes yeah well they're they're not only big and they need a huge amount of exercise but as you say they're they're very highly tuned dogs Mm. and I know you've actually trained a a Malinois to work for Dogs for Wildlife yes we we brought um, a young Malinois bitch on for Jackie and Darren from Dogs for Wildlife Um, and I just spoke to Jackie actually yesterday and they're just still waiting for her placement Um, yeah she was very much in to my husband I'm not a big fan of girls um of bitches to be honest I, we only have boys here I think um I don't know it's a personal preference to be honest gosh that's so weird gosh I've never <laughs> heard that before that's so funny because you know for me um I would say, you know, six and two threes, really. I mean, I have heard that boy dogs are more loyal than female dogs. But then I've always, I've got a girl and a boy at the moment. Although Mr. Binks, I mean, he's a bit of a one-off, really. But I mean, he he adores me. He is. And Prudence, yes, the same. But she's a bull terrier. So they're, you know, they're the most independent terrier anyway um if not dog on the planet really they're not needy bull terriers you know they're no I know happy. my first dog was a bull terrier really I didn't know yeah. that oh yeah I took an old bull terrier bitch in somebody had to give up because he, he had to go for a while behind bars in Germany and I took her in and she she really loved me but I did know very little about dogs then I was about 17 nearly coming up to 18 and um yeah she was difficult but I will end up as a bull terrier one day again I can I can assure you because I think they're great I think they're great <laughs> yes yes they've got lots of personality that, that's mm, for sure never a dull moment um yeah. never a dull moment um no so well um, gosh Corin. so your bloodhounds there they'd be all set so if you've got a call just like that from the Essex police you'd be ready to jump out harness them up and and get on it yeah that's what happens usually 
And it usually happens at about 11 at night or during the morning, because strangely enough, there seems to be this myth that you can't report this person quite quickly missing. And sometimes people wait just too long. And the longer the scent is out there, the less the likelihood becomes that we pick up a trail. Um, It's very environmentally vulnerable scent, the human scent picture because obviously the longer it stays somewhere, the, the wind, the, the rain, everything has an impact on the human scent picture. We ask our hounds to follow, really. Mm, so would you say, you know, that a bloodhound is better than a German shepherd at doing uh, search and rescue? Um, no. As I said, the bloodhound is not for everybody. Um, I think they're equally good. It depends on the individual dog. Really, everything depends on the individual dog and not on a on a breed. You know, obviously, some breeds are better at using their noses than others because they're, they're modified to do so. But I think um, they're equally good because one of my best friends, he has German Shepherds and they're just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. People love the German Shepherd as the all-round working dog, don't they? They do, but again, we have the problem between the working line bread and the show line bread, like every breed nearly these days. And um, they're modified sometimes for the show ring. And when I look at their health issues with the hips and everything, again, I would prefer a Malinois or a cross out of both of them any day. Yeah, no, I know. Yes, over-exaggeration of features has done a, a lot of, of damage, really, I think, you know, on the confirmation side of In things. some breeds, definitely. Yeah, definitely. But a lot is being changed. I know the Kennel Club's doing a lot on the German Shepherds, actually, you know, that slopey back, which I've just mm. never understood. Why would any dog want to have a back? that, you know, you'd roll a ball down and it would just roll off and the back legs so compromised in, in that position, you know? Yeah. I just don't understand why anyone would want to do that myself. But there we go. You know, it's all being, it is all being fixed. I, I am confident Hopefully. of that. Hopefully, yes, I know. Gosh, oh gosh, well, Corinne, I really hope we can keep in touch because I'd um, love some more stories. I'd, I'd love to meet your bloodhounds because I've never met a bloodhound in real life. You're not the only one who says that. We say that every time, but what we find is um, they make people smile because when we used to do, um, obviously, our street collections for SX Search and Rescue, as soon as the bloodhounds were there, people were just coming to see us and talk to us. And because um, often people, they're very, very rare. They're not a common breed anymore. And I think it's probably for the best because, as I said to you earlier, they're not everybody's um, cup of tea. Probably there are people out there who say, oh, that's not true but it's not any hound be honest with you needs it's a lot of nose work a lot of nose work yeah yes it's interesting um a good friend of mine is just uh taking on a miniature wirehead daxi so would you say you know for a mini wirehead daxi that nose work is something to really build into um their early education definitely they are breed they're born and bred in germany to go after wild boar I know, I know, I know, but not the mini ones. I mean, surely not the little ones. They are. I've got a friend over there who's a pack of minis and their shoes are white bore out of the woods. Yeah, they're not for the faint-hearted, these little dudes. I always want, my husband says we have enough dogs as it is. 
I know they interest me. It would be the wire coat I'd I'd, I'd get the mini taxi. Mm. Um, gosh, I know there's not enough time to have enough dogs, really, because no, I, cer- I certainly couldn't manage more than two. Um, you know, as a single person, it's a lot of work to do it mm. properly. But. Uh, <laughs> Well, Karen, well, I'm looking forward to coming up to visit you. So thank you so much for today. And where can people learn more about Essex Search and Rescue? So Essex Search and Rescue has obviously a web page, but Essex Search and Rescue is part of a bigger organisation called Lowland Rescue. It's the equivalent to Mountain Rescue. So there is more search and rescue units in every area, basically, in the UK. Um, if people like to do some men training for hobby and sport, they could get in touch with the British Men Training Academy and, and give it a go, basically, on one of our little taster sessions or workshops, um, because it's a great sport for everybody and it's a great laugh. Oh, great. Well, I might enroll Prudence to come up and do a workshop. Um, you know, it's, you don't have to have a, a normal dog, do you? I can come with no. the old area. <laughs> any, any dog. And you will be very, very surprised how much the bird type dogs love it. Because we had lots of, um, we had somebody with an American bulldog coming where the husband was saying, oh, he's not going to do that. He's, he can't, you know, we, we, he had a very low opinion about his own dog. And this dog absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it, running after me and getting his tuna crack. Yes, Tuna. That's so funny. Oh, well, Prudence, who's now sitting beside me, actually. Um, how about that? We're going to do some some man trailing work. Yes. Oh, Karen, I'm looking forward to it already. So thank you again. And we will be in touch. Yes, please. Thank you ever so much for inviting me and talking to me. That's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, I know. Wow. Maybe you want to go and do some tracking. And yes, you're right. It is time for Woof of the Week. (coughs) Never underestimate the power of your dog's nose. (coughs) Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Karin Lee for joining us and all her links are in the show notes. Thanks, of course, to Mike, my producer. Find out more about him at Pod People UK. And I'm just on Anna Web Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, we are back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe now? It's free. And that way, you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Bye for now.